children. At this time of year, we are celebrating the birth of Christ. Yet we know it is his death and his resurrection powerfully three days later that has provided the most precious gift we could ever imagine. And so this morning as we open your word, would you open our eyes and hearts that we would hear your voice, that we would know exactly what you are saying to us, that we might apply the truth of your word to our hearts and that we would walk in a way that is honoring to you. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you, folks. You can have a seat. A little disclaimer before we start this morning. Just before I came to church, I looked down and my watch was 15 minutes slow. Now, I reset it, but I'm not sure how good I'm going to do here. So can I get a time check? Anybody? Seriously. I heard 25, and that's what I'm going with. You 28 and 29 people, I didn't hear you at all. Okay. All right. All right. I, I, I can keep you for five extra minutes, but if I do 15, the natives are going to get restless. So, Christmas. It's the most wonderful time of the year, isn't it? Fluffy snowflakes and children sliding and making snowmen in the yard, hot chocolate with marshmallows and chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Uh, the nativity scene looks like this. And the angels that appear to everyone look like this. It's beautiful. But that's not Chris what Christmas is always like, is it? Or maybe that's never what Christmas is like in your life. Because we aren't living in a precious moments kind of world. We're living in the real world. This is the real world. And instead of fluffy snowflakes, it's freezing rain. And instead of children sliding, it's children fighting. Instead of hot chocolate and chestnuts, it's McDonald's from the drive-thru after yet another basketball practice. And sometimes Christmas is just a painful reminder of what things used to be like before grief and loss. Sometimes it's just the present itself that's painful. Because we have broken relationships or dysfunctional families. Life. This is real life. Like last week. Do you remember last week? When Tim talked to us about Zachariah and Elizabeth. Who had spent decades without a child. Decades of barrenness and decades of unanswered prayer. And like them, we learned that we must surrender to God's timing and trust that he knows what he's doing. And maybe you're in that spot, and this is most definitely not the most wonderful time of the year. And you might even be asking, will my life ever be right again? Will life be normal again? What even is normal? 
we face impossible tasks or we face formidable situations and we're afraid. How do we overcome that fear? How do we overcome the fear of the mountains that are in our lives that seem insurmountable? Last week we talked about surrendering to God's timing and trusting. And this week we are going to learn that we must surrender to God's will and obey. Now we're still in Luke chapter 1, if you have your Bibles there, and you want to turn with me to that passage in Luke 1. And if you remember, last time, last week, Tim left us off with Zechariah and Elizabeth being promised that they were going to have a baby boy. They were elderly, they were in their old age, the scripture says very clearly, but they were going to have a son. Now, if we were to read in verses 24 and 25 of Luke 1, we won't take the time to do that this morning, but if we were to, we would find that for five months, Elizabeth kept her pregnancy a secret. We don't really know why she did that. It's not clarified for us. Perhaps she just wanted to relish the knowledge that they were going to finally have a child and relish what God had told to them. But for five months, she kept her pregnancy hidden. And now we're coming to verse 26. So that's where we are this morning. Luke chapter 1, verse 26, and it says, In the sixth month, if you've ever read, sometimes we pick up on the story of Mary there, and we say, the sixth month, the sixth month of what? Well, you have to connect it to what just happened. It's actually not the sixth month of the year or the sixth month from a feast day or a celebration. It was the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, there's a lot to process here, but the first thing I want you to notice is that we're introduced to Gabriel again. Now, last time when he appeared to Zechariah, to Zechariah, we didn't know it was Gabriel until later on. It just said an angel of the Lord appeared, and then later he said, I'm Gabriel. You know, remember, because Zechariah was not too sure of what was happening. Nobody remembers that. Zechariah was not too sure, and he said, hey, I'm Gabriel. I come to you from God. Well, this time we find out right at the beginning that it's Gabriel. The same angel that appeared to Zechariah is now appearing to Mary. Now, we think a lot, uh, we've heard the name Gabriel a lot, and whenever anybody talks about angels, we always think of Gabriel, but the reality is that we only see Gabriel three times in the whole Bible, all 66 books, and two of them are right here in Luke chapter 1. He appears to Zechariah, he six months later appears to Mary, back in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, he appeared to Daniel. That's the only time we see Gabriel in the scripture. What's interesting is that all three times that Gabriel appears... The people that he appears to are terrified. <laughs> Daniel was too. Remember Tim said last week, it's not one of those chubby little babies with the harp. I don't know what Gabriel looked like, but we presume that he was rather intimidating. If you look all the way back to Daniel chapter 8, you'll find that Daniel was so upset by the appearance of Gabriel that he laid in bed for a few days sick. That's Gabriel. He's appearing to Mary. Now, we should say this, too, that when Gabriel spoke to Zechariah six months before this passage, 
It was the first direct revelation from God to his chosen people in 400 years. Now, if you've read anything in the Old Testament, you know that it seemed like God was always speaking to his people. Either there was a prophet, or there was a burning bush, or there was a donkey, or there was an angel, or there was something happening, and God was always speaking to his people. But if you were to turn in your Bibles back to Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament, the 39th of 39, you'd find out that Malachi was the last prophet of the people of Israel. And when he finished speaking, that was it. Nothing for 400 years. And he predicted judgment upon Israel and upon the world because of their sin. But right at the end of Malachi chapter 4, he promised that one day the Son of Righteousness would rise. There was hope in the message of judgment. And now... After 400 years, God has sent two messages in six months. Now, calling Nazareth a city, you see it says there the city of Nazareth, is something that gets lost in the translation a little bit. The Greek word here means any populated area. Now, when we use the word city, what do we think of? We don't think of Buckfield, do we? No offense, Buckfield people. We don't think of Hebron, we don't think of West Paris, we really don't even think of South Paris or Norway, we think of maybe Portland or Boston or New York City or something like that, because that's how we use the word in English, an urban area, but in Greek this word means any populated area, and that's all Nazareth was, it was what we would call a wide spot in the road. There was maybe a couple of hundred people. It was a small village, and in that village, there was a young lady named Mary. Now, what else do we know about her? We know two things. We know that she was a virgin, and we know that she was betrothed to Joseph. That's what it says here in verse 27. This tells us that she was probably about 13 years old, because that was a typical age of betrothal in the Jewish culture for a young girl. Betrothal was a one-year period, typically. It was a binding marriage covenant that could only be ended by death or divorce. The word virgin here literally means a young girl beyond puberty, but chaste, pure. That's what it means. And I want you to notice that despite the humble upbringing Both Joseph, as is mentioned here in this passage, and Mary later on in the chapter, can both trace their ancestry back to King David. Not that it really matters, because it's been hundreds of years since Israel has had a king, and they are under the thumb of Rome. Look at verse 28. And he, that is Gabriel, came to her, that is Mary, and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Oh, favored one literally means you recipient of God's grace. No one had probably ever said that to Mary before. She was insignificant because of her age in this culture, because of her gender. Because of her birthplace, she was kind of a nobody. 
So when Gabriel, this magnificent, perhaps fierce-looking, but certainly intimidating-looking angel says, Greetings, O favored one, you recipient of God's grace. says that Mary was troubled by that. She was confused. She was distressed. And she was trying to figure out why he was saying that because she knew that she was a sinner. She was a good Jewish girl. Later on, we would notice if we were to keep reading in Luke chapter 1 that Mary was righteous. She was a believer in the God of Israel. And she lived by faith. And so she knew she was a sinner. And so I'm sure in her mind she was thinking, what is happening right now? <laughs> Have you ever had that happen? When somebody comes up to you and says something like, we need to talk. <laughs> Not now, like three days from now so that you can stew about it for a while. <laughs> That's what Mary was feeling. We need to talk. <laughs> She's terrified. Verse 30. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give, him, give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Gabriel graciously puts Mary out of some of her misery right off the top and says, don't, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Literally, fear not. God has showered you with his grace. And in his sovereign grace, this has resulted in you being chosen to give birth to the king and savior of Israel. I wish we had a little more information about Mary's frame of mind because I wonder just how much that set her mind at ease. <laughs> Don't be afraid. You're just going to give birth to the king and savior of your nation. But that's what he said. Now this is unbelievable. I know it's black and white and it's on a page or it's on the screen or whatever it is you're looking at. But this is unbelievable what's happening here. And it's unbelievable for a couple of things. Uh, first of all, because of what we've already said, Mary is a nobody. She's an underprivileged girl probably from a little tiny podunk town. She's certainly not mother of a king material, as we would consider it. But it's also unbelievable because of what Mary says in verse 34, which is this. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Now, despite how much our world is trying to deny the anatomical and physiological and biological realities of human reproduction in this culture... This is sixth grade science. Mary cannot have a child without a man. That's just the way it is. 
No woman can. And what is interesting here, because for centuries, millennia perhaps, people have been trying to deny the virgin birth. That's what we call this, right? That Mary was a virgin and that she gave birth to Jesus Christ. They try to deny it and say, well, you know, she wasn't with Joseph, but who knows what was happening. I mean, she was a young lady and she, you know, passed puberty and who knows what liaisons had happened or whatever. Virgin just means young girl. It doesn't necessarily mean that she was chaste. But I want you to see here that there was no question about Mary's morality Because what she says in this verse, interestingly enough, she doesn't use the same word that Luke uses earlier when he says that he appeared to Mary who was a virgin betrothed to Joseph. That was the literal word that's translated virgin. But in this verse, Mary literally says, how can this be? I've never been intimate with a man. So this is not semantics. Virgin didn't mean one thing to one person and something else to someone else. She literally says, how can this be? I've never been intimate with a man. She doesn't say, "Um, since you're here, Gabriel, maybe this would be a good time for me to confess something that happened a little while ago. Maybe you don't know about. I'm not as pure as you think I am. She doesn't say that. She says, this is not possible. It's not possible. Notice what else she doesn't say. She doesn't say, what do I tell my parents? What do I tell Joseph? What if he rejects me? What will people say about me? How am I going to live? How will I survive? She doesn't say any of that. She had the trust part down. She believed in God, but she wanted to know how. How is this going to happen? How would she be able to do what God was calling her to do? There have been some amazing births in the world. There have been some amazing births in the history of Israel. You remember how Israel started, right? We talked about it a few months ago when we were looking at the book of Hebrews. Abraham and Sarah. Sarah was barren, wasn't she? And she had a child. Jacob's wife, Rachel, was barren, but God gave her two sons. Hannah was barren, and God gave her a son, Samuel. Elizabeth, her own cousin. But this is different. How can this be? I can't do this. Look at verse 35. The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. The answer was simple, really, (laughs) to the most complicated question that Mary could certainly think of. The answer was simple. It was going to be a miracle of the Holy Spirit. 
the Most High, El Elyon, the sovereign, omnipotent ruler of the world, there would be a miraculous, creative act by the Spirit of God. Look at verse 36. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. Mary didn't ask for a sign, but she got one anyway. Now here's what I want you to just remember before we keep going about this. Remember that God had not spoken to Israel in 400 years. Now he has spoken to them twice, two messages in six months. And what does he want Israel to know? What does he want them to remember? He wants them to remember that he is still powerful. And that he is still the God of miracles. He can still do anything that he wants to do. Look at verse 37. What does Gabriel say? For nothing will be impossible with God. Literally not one thing. No things will be impossible. Humanly speaking, was this impossible, humanly speaking? Yes. It was impossible. It was insane to think about. But this was not something that relied on human effort. This was something that only God could do. And how did Mary respond to that? Verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Literally, Mary was saying, I'm God's slave. He can do as he will. Whatever God wants to do. He was, she was saying, I surrender to God. I will obey. Even though I'm guessing she still was wondering how it was going to happen. Even though Gabriel said it's going to be a miraculous, creative act by the Holy Spirit, the Most High God will accomplish this. I mean, she still had to have some questions, right? Would you have had any more questions for Gabriel or would you have been good? But she said... I'm God's servant. What are you facing in your life today? What impossible task? Is there a situation that you, you just can't, you're looking at it, you can't imagine what the resolution is going to be? Perhaps you're even like Mary and you say, I, I trust God. I trust that God loves me. I trust that, that He wants to be at work in my life. I trust that He wants to take care of me. But I just don't see how this is going to work. The challenge to us from Mary's situation is this. 
surrender to God's will and obey. He can, by his power, cause an elderly woman to conceive. He can, by his power, cause a virgin to conceive. He can, by his power, deliver from addiction. He can, by his power, restore a broken marriage. He can, by his power, heal a terminal disease. God specializes in doing things that are impossible in our lives. And is it just me or are there so many things that we just can't see the solution to? No? Just me, I guess. And you can be like Mary and you say, I'm not saying that God can't do anything. I just don't know if he can do this thing. I don't know if he can answer my question, my problem. We just wonder... If there's any way that things can be right again. I want to remind you of something here. Until Christ was born, no one had ever seen God. Oh, Moses was up on the mountain that time and he asked to see the glory of God and God said, Dude, you can't handle it, trust me. And Moses begged, and God said, All right, I'm going to tuck you under this rock, and I'm just going to give you a teeny tiny little barely glimpse of just one fraction of my glory. And nobody could even look at Moses for days because of the glory of God reflected in his face. No one had ever seen God, but do you know what Paul tells us about Jesus Christ? He was the express image of God. He knew our need and decided to reveal himself to us, so he stepped out of time and eternity in the form of a human being, and he did it in a way that could never be repeated. And there are so many things in our lives that can overwhelm us and cause us to be confused and fearful like Mary was. How can God make a way for me here? And God's answer to your fears is straightforward and powerful. And it is this. Nothing is impossible for me. God asks us to keep walking the unknown path to surrender our will to His will, to be obedient even if He hasn't given us all the answers. We believe that He gives us the light for the next step and so we take that step. And I challenge you this morning in whatever your unknown is, 
whether it's an illness or debt or grief or relationship or abuse or addiction or whatever it is, in your unknown and in your fear and in your confusion, to be obedient to what you do know. Can you do that? It's not focusing on the unknown and focus on the known. There are a lot of things that God has told us. A lot of things that He has called us to. Are you obedient in those things? Are you willing to make room in your heart and in your life for God to write the story that He wants to write? I know you have a story that you want to write because I do too. But are you willing to let God write His story? Or will you insist on your own way? Maybe like the Israelites, you're thinking, it's been like 400 years since I've heard anything from God. He is not talking to me right now. You're not, my friends. The power of the Most High God is available to you. And He calls you to be obedient. If you will surrender to Him, He will act in your life. Will you stand and worship with us together? Family hiding from the storm. Nothing impossible with God. That's His promise. Father, we are so thankful that you, the most high, the most powerful one, the God of this universe, that you are still at work today and that you desire to work in our hearts. I pray for each one here that we might be obedient to you, to the things that we know to do, even when the next step is murky, confusing, or terrifying. We might walk in the way that you have called us to, that we might surrender to your will and obey. We thank you for the truth of your word, for the encouragement of hearing it, for being together. We pray that as we go out into this world, that we will be the people that you have given us the grace and the strength to be. Help us to say no to ourselves and yes to Jesus every time. Thank you, Father, for this place and this day. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks, folks. I hope you have a great week.